Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. If you're struggling with drugs, alcohol, gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday. I don't know how I got there, but and I couldn't stop it. I had stopped expecting that anybody cared. Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough. That was the confusion. Tune in to Living Free, stories of recovery from addictive behaviour, Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR. Or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living free. This week, I'm joined by Janina and Heather, both members of an organisation called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. (laughs) Welcome to you both. Hi. Um, ACA groups, Adult Children of Alcoholics groups, meet to share their experience of growing up in an environment where abuse, neglect and trauma (coughs) affected them. Um, So I was wondering... Janina, would you be able to start us off, please, with a little, uh, the story of your childhood? Oh, good question. Um, So I grew up in a family of five, and I was the youngest one, and I was also the girl and with two older brothers. And my dad was a daily drinker, and occasionally on weekends, you know, there'd be parties, his mates would come over, or family friends, and they'd be drinking as well. I have very few recollections of those early years Um, and certainly um, I do remember Dad coming home. This was in the days of six o'clock closing, so he'd be home about seven, I would imagine. Um, And my brothers, my mother was working and my brothers basically raised me. I think we were called latchkey kids in those days. Um, And then ten o'clock closing started by the time I got into my teens. I think ten o'clock closing started and he'd be home about (coughs) 10.30. And I would hear the squeak of the front gate. And if I was in the kitchen, I would take off to my bedroom so so that I could avoid the nightly arguments that went round and round and round the kitchen table. And I could remember thinking with my mother if only you would shut up because if she said one word he'd be good for another 20 minutes Um, my brothers in the meantime I have two older brothers Uh, my older one when he was he got involved in footy and as soon as he got a license he basically just came home to sleep and we had a bungalow in the backyard so my other sibling other brother went to live in um, especially my teenage years he went to live in the bungalow so I was left and uh, on my own. They had no idea what was happening to me in the household. Mm-hmm. So a childhood of isolation. Definitely. <clears throat> yep. Is that something you relate to, Heather? Definitely. Um, yes. I. Did you want my... Yeah, sure. Yeah. Tell, tell us. Okay, well, <clears throat> my thing was that my father was a war hero He came home from the Second World War with decorations plus plus, 
but also being a drunk. So I, as a child growing up, was extremely confused because his reg regiment promoted respectability for his decorations. Also, my mother joined in that, and I sort of couldn't work out what was going on at all because he, she promoted the respectability in the neighbourhood we lived in, which in those days was public housing, he got a housing commissioned house when he came home from the war. So um, that was my childhood. And I became very aware that I was ashamed of that, of his drinking. I couldn't bring friends home. I really sort of started to isolate. And <clears throat> yeah, really, and those habits that... I actually developed as a childhood became states of mind mm -hmm. that are still present in my mind and that's why I've come into ACA to try and heal those emotional responses that are still states of mind. Thank you. Um, that, we'll come back to that, that um, changing the states of mind. Um, I'm interested in the connection with the war. And I was wondering, um, Janina, I think you've got uh, some experience of that too. Can you talk to a little bit about your father's experience with the war? So my dad, look, I don't have any proof. There are only little bits of information that we have that we suspect that my father may have done some naughty things in inverted commas during the war. Because as I've progressed through life and recognised how fear has gripped me, I can now see it in my dad. And he basically, in the evenings before six uh, before 10 o'clock closing, he would just sit in the kitchen corner and if he, he would either be drunk and angry or he would sit in the corner smoking cigarettes and hardly a word would pass his lips. I, I yeah. Just mm. don't remember, and uh, to me now that I think about it, it's like that terrified animal just mm. sort of crawling into the corner. Um, and I think that that today I know that he was probably scared of being deported because of what happened in the war, and I think his um, his fear of deportation really affected my mother, and she became paranoid schizophren schizophrenic. She developed schizophrenia. And her thing was um, keeping every single receipt that she ever had, mm. 20 years of receipts maybe. And her other thing was if anybody, if we walked down the street and anybody looked at her sideways, she would abuse them mm. to the point where I, by the time I was 16, I just thought I'm not walking down the street with my mum anymore because of the shame, mm -hmm. just terrified and shame. Mm. Mm. And Heather, you talked about shame too. How did you, um, how did your mother... Oh, you said your mother tried to pretend there was a, a respectability. Um, and so that's a source of shame, isn't it, when what's going on in the house is different from what's going outside? Absolutely. She protected him. Mm -hmm. She thought it was her duty to do that in those days mm -hmm. because women didn't have rights. They mm -hmm. probably didn't even have jobs, a lot of them. Yep. So um, she deferred to him and um, she was an absolute Methodist teetotaler. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so she tried to 
stop him from drinking by diluting mm-hmm. his drinks and tipping it out, all that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff that doesn't work. No. <laughs> um, so, Heather, uh, what about growing, getting into your teenage years? What sort of a teenager were you? You hinted before that you were a little bit rebellious. Yes, because um, <clears throat> I'm an only child and um, my father really wanted a boy. I know that. And so I became very extremely rebellious. And I realise now through ACA that that was to get attention. Ah. So um, unfortunately, that too became a state of mind. And I still find myself in conversation with friends or people dropping in something really shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Must be entertaining for them. (laughs) Well, it's entertaining for them, but it's not very healthy for me. But through ACA, I've learned to recognise that. Yes. (laughs) And I do sort of draw the line now. I do stop because, you know, I can drum up some really, really shocking uh, things to say in a conversation. And I find I do it if, you know, I think the conversation's boring. So it's, it's just such a terrible habit. Is it, do you like the excitement? Do you like is that part of it? Um, no, it's probably just the rebelliousness mm-hmm. to get attention. Mm-hmm. To get attention—that's what it is. I've realised that <laughs> it's all about that. So, having realised that is very awakening for me, mm-hmm. so that I can draw the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what's the problem with that for you? Why, why do you feel you need to not have that characteristic? Um, because I've realised that it is a character defect Mm -hmm. and um, in the 12th step, as you know, Anne, we do look at our character defects and, well, I try to work with mine, Mm -hmm. um, but I find that many of them are still present. Of course. Even though I've asked, God to remove them and done all that stuff and I haven't had much luck with that and um, so for me it's the awareness of them that I can draw the line and I'm gradually letting them go through that mm-hmm. but it's um, a work in progress yes. and. <laughs> um, and Janina what about your teenage years how, how were they? Um, if I thought, well, I don't have recollections of too much of my childhood, but teenage years definitely um, two things that are critical in my life. When I was 14, I remember my mother saying to me, if you get pregnant, you'll be on the street. Mm. So that terrified me. And then that's when it was in the teenage years that I became critically aware that my mother's thinking was distorted and I wanted to change high schools because I'd failed year 10 at the Catholic school and wanted to go to the local school, which was co-ed. So I don't know which parent, but I was told that, yes, I could go to this this local school, but I was not allowed to um, join in. I had to give up all the recreational activities that I was doing. And I, being of um, Baltic um, descendants, I was involved with my ethnic group. So weekends, Friday night I'd be playing basketball, Saturday morning I'd clean the house, 
Saturday afternoon I had folk dancing practice. Sunday morning was, went to my ethnic school. Sun, and Sunday afternoon was basketball practice. So I remember my girlfriend saying, oh, you know, we have to make an appointment in order to see you. <laughs> and because I wanted to change schools, my parents said, you can't do any of those things anymore. And so for year 10, 11 and 12, I was basically locked up and I couldn't even go on school excursions or school camps. Mm. I was about to ask you about isolation because I thought, I wonder how the isolation um, tendency played out given all that social stuff, but sounds like you've been forced back into isolation. Mm. Mm. How did you deal with that? Well, I didn't. Eventually, when I was 18, oh, in the meantime, my mother's mm. um, illness progressed, and um, I remember years when uh, I'd be asleep in bed and Mum would get up in the morning and I could just hear the pitter-patter. It wasn't pitter-patter. It was more like thump, thump, thump <laughs> along the linoleum floor and my bedroom door would be flung open and she'd be yelling and screaming already and she'd just come into my room and start attacking me, physically abusing oh. me. Um, and that had severe effects on me. I remember I would probably stay awake for two nights in a row and then the third night I'd fall asleep because I was just so exhausted. But, um, yeah, really, mm. that behaviour really affected me well mm. into my adulthood mm -hmm. and I'm still dealing with it today. Yeah, that's a trauma. Yes. Um, so before we go to the break then, Heather, can we, if you got a, uh, an awareness of trauma in your childhood and how do you understand that, that trauma? Um, well, the trauma for me was um, seeing my father drunk all the time, just sitting in a chair drinking um, and singing songs. He used to sing songs and um, we were talking about this before. This is why I can't sing these days hmm. because... Um, I just, uh, because of hearing him sing like that, I somehow created a mental block as a child. And I've always wanted to sing, but I know that mm. I can't. So um, I've, got, I've got that on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. There's still time. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Okay. Thank All right. you, Anne. Thank you very much to both of you for telling your story. Um, for all the people who, like me, stay up, uh, not stay up, wake up at 3am and start worrying about things that are not a problem at all in the light of day. Uh, this is a song by Australian singer Abby Cardwell and it's called 3am. On Monday night I try to sleep But I just can't fight Waking up With a song of you Waking up With you on my I've got work to do And things to think about You've got someone else 
So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo Diaspora Blues What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30 p.m. on 3CR Community Radio. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at this station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. This is a Living Free Show on 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you would like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform 
or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking today with Janina and Heather, both are members of Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, in which people affected by family dysfunction in childhood meet to share experience, strength and hope that they can recover from their trauma. Now, we had coffee just before our, um, this interview, and we decided we'd have a little sort of a mini-meeting, and I'm going to read something out that, we, that gets read out at Adult Children of Alcoholics meetings. Um, and then we're just going to go around the table here and talk about anything that we relate to in this. So listen to this. Many of us found that we had several characteristics in common as a result of being brought up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional household. We had come to feel isolated and uneasy with other people, especially authority figures. To protect ourselves, we became people pleasers, even though we lost our own identities in the process. All the same, we would mistake any personal criticism as a threat. We either became alcoholics or practiced other addictive behaviour ourselves or married them or both. Failing that, we found other compulsive personalities, such as a workaholic, to fulfil our sick need for abandonment. Um, who would like to start us off on this one? Anyone relating to anything in this? Oh, well, I can start. <laughs> um, that basically describes me. Okay. <laughs> I relate, relate to that completely. Yeah. Do you want me? To, oh, sorry. Do you want me to go through sentence by sentence, or do you, have you got something you're about, no, about to say? No. Um, well, yeah, maybe the just a. First couple of sentences again. Cool. Uh, Many of us found that we had several characteristics in common as a result of being brought up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional household. We had come to feel isolated and uneasy with other people, especially authority figures. How's that one? Yes, so isolation and authority figures. um, Well, we've already talked about my isolation, um, especially in my teenage years. And the fear of authority figures, I clearly remember that as a teenager, I felt as if I didn't have the right to speak up. Well, I didn't, because if I said anything, um, you know, I'd get a backhander from mum. And then as the years progressed, I thought, well, what's the point of saying anything anyway? Because she never believed what I said, whether I told the truth or not. Not that I became a compulsive liar, but, um, you know, I just learned to to keep quiet. Um, And the authority figures is something that I didn't recognise at the time, um, but I realise today that that's a huge, it has played a huge part in my life. Um, and one of the things that happened to me is, and I sometimes, well, I know the answer today. So when I got married, I was in my early 20s and I ran away from home when I was 18. And in my culture, you know, once you were 21, you were considered an adult. So as a child, whatever abuse I was um, that was inflicted on me, I had no voice or felt as if I had no voice. But I married an alcoholic and we lived with his mum. Um, And, you know, there were lots of arguments there and I learned, in the end, I learned to um, give as much as I got. And I found this voice and I discovered, looking back now, that I'm 21, I'm an adult and I have a I have a voice and I have a right to say something. Unfortunately, as I learned in ACA, um, I think we have we have the laundry list and then there's the other side of the laundry list and it's so, you know, what happened to me and then what I had become. And, you know, I had become terrible, <laughs> as one way of putting it. I basically found that 
going from silence or stuffed feelings that I was yelling and screaming just as the other people around me were. And I was ashamed of my own behaviour and the things that came out of my mouth. Um, yeah, so mm. that was, uh, yeah, and that was the fear of authority figures. But I just, I had this brazenness about me in those mm. days. Um, mm. So you swung in the other direction? Yes, well, mm. because the, you know, what I grew up with were survival skills. Yep. And then those survival skills, as I go further in my life, um, as I grow older, they tend to work against me. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back to how you, how a person navigates that, <laughs> that, that going from one extreme to the other. Uh, Heather, what about you? Anything that we read out resonating with you? Or oh, you... yes. Yep. <laughs> like Janina, the authority figure is huge. Because I sometimes see situations as authority figures or tones of voice. I've got a radar that picks up authority figures. But because I'm the daughter of a soldier, I was Mm. not allowed to show ever any weakness. So unfortunately, I became an authority figure. And with my, I have three offspring. With them, I would always have the last word. I, would, I thought that I knew better than everyone, particularly the police and the lawyers and all those authority figures, and certainly everyone that I spoke to. So I came from the high moral ground. Mm. And that was... I knew that there was something wrong. Mm. I really did. From my childhood, I've been aware that there is always something wrong, but I never knew what it was until I got into ACA. So that now I'm, I've become much better at practising showing my weakness hmm. with not so much with the outside world. I still put on a front. But with my family, and I found with my family and trusted friends. Mm. Trusted friends are members of the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And with them, I can be really, really honest because um, another one of my shortcomings is that I have trust issues because I didn't trust my father and I was always disappointed, so... Um, I can now, I'm learning to trust. Even at my late age, Mm -hmm. I still um, have to work on these shortcomings. Shortcomings are what I'm short of. (laughs) So thank you, Anne. (laughs) That that, all resonates. (laughs) There's a lot in society at the moment, isn't there, about the people have discovered the strength that comes from sharing your weakness. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yes. Um. The thing I relate to there is that f- that feeling of being uneasy with other people. So I've got a um, big antenna on my head that reads the room very well, <laughs> takes the temperature of the room, um, com- immediately sees if someone's uncomfortable, uh, immediately then thinks it's probably my fault <laughs> in some way. <laughs> but um, just, you know, far too um, lack of boundaries, you know. Um, and um, again, that's that's part of my thinking. Um, and often I don't have that and often, um, you know, I move on from that or if I think about it beforehand, I avoid that. But it's always there, ready. The antenna 
I can pull them down, but they're still in there and they can easily shoot back up. So <laughs> uneasy with other people, um, you know, worried about all the all the little tiny um, micro mistakes that you could make <laughs> with other people. Um, so that's one for me. Um, will we read out more of that paragraph and see if there's any more or we go into the next paragraph? I'll move on to the next paragraph of that opening. Um, so oh, this is for you, Janina. So tell me, tell me to raise your hand when you're ready to share about this. We lived a life from the standpoint of victims. Having an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, we preferred to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. Oh, the hands up. The hands up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Victims, yes, definitely. Um, When I got married, um, we had... While I was working, it was fine, but it was when we stopped to have a family, I was basically left alone, Mm -hmm. isolated. My husband um, wasn't around. He started... Mind you, he'd been drinking then, but it had never been a problem. Um, but then it started to become a problem because my first pregnancy was a, a high-risk pregnancy. The labour was really intense and uh, and I had postnatal depression, not that it was called that in those days. It was a whole traumatic experience. And I thought my husband would be around to help. And as the other children arrived, he just wasn't there. Um, and I really, I was terrified of being a parent, actually. And then to to discover that I was doing this on my own, and on top of that, I mentioned my mother-in-law earlier. Um, she was highly critical, um, and she favoured the first child, so that created even further problems within the family. Um, so that was the isolation, and I've forgotten what the rest of that <laughs> reading was. Uh, the other bit was um, preferring to be... Concerned with other pe- people rather oh, than ourselves. Yes, over-responsible, yeah. that's right, the mm. martyr. Um, my husband, when we got married, he wanted to be a professional fisherman and then he discovered, so we bought a boat and then it was the wrong boat. Um, he needed to build a steel one and he gave up his job and I picked up another job. So all the money that I earned from my second job, I just handed over to him Um and that worked for a little while, um, but then because there was violence in the marriage, um, I started to question myself. When I got the sack, I cried, but I think I cried, I cried tears of joy <laughs> and tears of despair all at the same time. Um, yeah, it was the people-pleasing, the martyrdom, you know. I felt it was my duty to support him in his dreams and goals, you know, because I'd managed to do my stuff at that stage, Um yeah, and it was, and the over responsibility stuff too. He was, um, he would probably be described as a petty criminal looking back these days, um, and I just found that was really hard to live with. Um, he was growing marijuana, and and that was like that's it. I hit a brick wall. I was not going to be part of that. The drinking. Although it created a lot of problems, the growing of the marijuana was created more problems and I just remember thinking, this is not what I imagined to be in my life and I didn't want a part of it. Mm. And did that um, sort of play into the fear that your family of origin already had about being on the wrong side of the law, or, you know, vulnerable to deportation? Um, I looking, looking back, I think my mother was moralistic, and it's interesting that, you know, it's not supposed to be a good thing, being standing the high moral ground, as you said. But in some ways, 
I look back and that was my saving grace that, you know, I really didn't want to be known as a criminal. I didn't want to have a police record. And I think that's, looking back subconsciously, that's what saved my, my, saved my bacon, I think, mm. is, the, is the term. Yeah. Yeah. Character strength in yeah. a way. Yep. Did you resonate with any of that, Heather, or would you like me to read the next little bit? Um, no, I can resonate. I, <laughs> Janina said the word duty, and that rang huge bells because, being the daughter of a soldier again, I was bred to do my duty, and my duty was to look after other people. And so um, that... I confused that with love, actually. I didn't know what love was. I I just sort of did everything for other people. And my um, oldest son, he became a heroin addict. And way back then in the heroin ep- epidemic, um, <clears throat> we learned tough love. Yeah. And that was how to put in strong boundaries. So I learned... Not to enable, not to rescue, but we sort of tried to have positive relationships with, well, I tried to have a positive relationship with my addict, who I loved dearly, first son. And, um, but so that, I gave moral support, but I'm finding out in ACA that I've gone overboard with that. And that's turned it turned on me in that it's turned out to be a trauma bond. And that is sort of um, accepting someone who will do harm or who is not doing the right thing. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome, Ah, I think. Yes. And it's very, very hard to overcome if it's my child, which it is my child. So I'm stepping back from that now, having realised that only recently that I was giving too much moral support Mm. to him, even though he's lurching into recovery. Um, So that has been wonderful for me. Um, And that is part of that, having an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. It's called the bad mother. Uh I'm a bad mother, so um, if I do that, and um, so that's that's me. I'm just trying to let go of the duty thing that (laughs) Janina mentioned Mm -hmm. and, yeah, just work for myself, looking after myself. I'm getting good at that because um, another sort of thing that has happened to me is the deprivation, being brought up very, very poor. Um, I deprived myself of things, Mm -hmm. and I'm working on that too because, really, I have abundance. But I'm acting as if I've got nothing. Scarcity mentality. (laughs) Exactly. You've summed it up beautifully, Anne, scarcity mentality. So I'll leave it there. That all resonates. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, I just wanted to add one more thing about my family is that my bit middle brother, so when my parents migrated to Australia, three weeks later my middle brother developed polio and he spent the first two years of his life in Australia in hospital and then came home. 
And so he's he's the child with the physical disabilities. Um, and my mother told me stories about when I was born and I was able to move around. There'd be times when I um, would sit there next, next to her and help mm-hmm. um, rub his legs or whatever, and then I would get extremely jealous and attack him. So there's the alcoholism, there's the mental illness, and then a sibling with a, a physical disability who's getting all the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that too creates more problems mm-hmm. in the family, mm-hmm. not just for me, but the whole family. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea of dysfunction, isn't it? It's not all to do with substance abuse. It, mm. I mean, we're hearing about war and uh, gender inequality. There's so many different things in this conversation yes. that can lead to trauma. Okay, we'll take another break now and uh, I will play a song from the Brooklyn Funk Essentials and it's called The Creator Has a Master Plan.
Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Have you experienced or seen racism against black followers? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard, call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back, everybody. This is a Living Free Show, and we're talking today with Janina and Heather about recovery from the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. So we're going to switch over now. We talked before about some of the problems that we face. Now we're going to look at some of the solutions. So I'm going to just read a little bit of ACA um, literature about that. So the solution is to become your own loving parent. As ACA becomes a safe place for you, you will find freedom to express all the hurts and fears you have kept inside and to free yourself from the shame and blame that are carryovers from the past. You will become an adult who is imprisoned no longer by childhood reactions. You will recover the child within you, learning to accept and love yourself. The healing begins when we risk moving out of isolation. Seems to be the word of the day. (laughs) Feelings and buried memories will return. By gradually releasing the burden of unexpressed grief, we slowly move out of the past. We learn to reparent ourselves with gentleness, humour, love and respect anyone can uh, indicate they'd like to come in at any time yep i can jump in <laughs> okay take it away Janine. i think it was the very first couple of sentence or sentences of about becoming your own loving parent so although i've been in Al-Anon for many many years um the concept of god or higher power just did not the word god is not something that appealed to me at all in fact i almost have an aversion to it um and, you know, once once I got that aversion and then I get engrossed in, into the feeling of how I dislike the word God and the effects of it and how it played out in my life. And higher power somehow didn't appeal to me. But sometime early in my recovery, um, a fellow member gave me a book on transactional analysis. And very simple in those days, you know, the, there was the child, the parent and the adult Um, And then just through reading a lot of literature stories and even sort of that sense of um, African, not African-Americans, American Indians Mm -hmm. and the spirituality that some of those tribes had, I I sort of somehow latched onto the adult thing or the spiritual thing. But people just kept using the word higher power and God in Al-Anon and I just cringe all the time, you know, and I never felt comfortable with, with the adult. But coming into ACA, they talk about, um, the loving parent or the adult. They recognise, you know, a whole lot of terms, but it was the loving parent. And I, it's like finally after all these years I'm home, you know, I can talk about my loving parent or the adult within with comfort. Um, it just yeah, it doesn't bother me anymore. Can you talk a little bit about what that adult parent can do for you that you and your real parent can't do for you? So... The the critical parent is the, the adult that we had in our childhood, you know, because we could never do anything say, right or say, any, say anything right. We're always in trouble. It's always my fault. It doesn't You know, sometimes I thought I, it's my fault just because I breathe or there's something wrong with me because I breathe. So coming into, uh, into ACA and that loving parent, we, we learn to... Um, 
silence, not silence, but certainly deafen or, you know, tone down the critical parent and allow the the adult or the loving parent to come in. Um, and even just using those very simple terms long before, well, it wasn't a practice of mine before ACA as it is these days. And I've had various occasions in the last few years to bring in that adult um, the adult is the, for me, is the one who stands back and sees the whole situation as mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. rather than getting emotionally involved in it. Because um, emotions are something that I can't control. You know, I've lost control of my emotions growing up in the in the home that I um, grew up in, and couldn't even recognise some of the emotions. You know, people constantly talk about feelings. You know, and I know a couple of feelings that I could probably give a name to but ACA has they have this diagram and there's 50 words on it I thought I didn't know you could have 50 words to describe your feelings um so yeah um learning to tap into um that loving parent or the adult within is something that I it's not that I do it on a conscious level but when I certainly when I get stuck in a corner Mm -hmm. that's probably when I call upon my adult or my loving parent Mm -hmm. That for me is the higher power. You, yes. you, you used a phrase there, um, the, the the person that's got the perspective on everything but no emotional involvement mm. except for love. <laughs> so that's a useful higher power definition yeah. if you don't want to have a Christian God or other God. Um, Heather, where are you on all this? Would you like more words spoken? No, well, no? Thank you, Anne. What stood out for me is the healing begins when we risk moving out of isolation. And I believe that since I've been in ACA, it's working for me because I used to be um, frightened of talking to the neighbour. I'd hide rather than talk to the neighbour. And I'm just thinking that this morning when I was waiting for Janina, I heard the neighbour over the fence. And normally I would sort of, be quiet so as not to be heard but I said good day to him Mm. and we chatted over the fence and I'm talking on 3CR and when's that what time and we're chatting 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 and also in my home even though I'm sort of now I wouldn't ask people in but now I've got a spiritual book group going I've got friends (laughs) toing and froing all the time and unconsciously I'm attracting people and I don't know how that works because I didn't do that purposely so I have to just put it down to the 12-step program Mm -hmm. and to ACA Mm -hmm. I don't know so that's me thank you that sounds like social health, if that's a term. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> For an only child who's yes. all supposed to be lonely. Yes. And I do feel loneliness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My isolation was broken when I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting when I was about 20. And I thought, I'm just going to tell these people everything and they're going to listen. And I just felt like I was in a, finally in the right club mm. because I always felt like the outsider. I think being a migrant too doesn't help that. So, but I, I think the the alcoholic thing of keeping one keeping the inside of the house uh, as one reality and the outside of the house as the other one causes you to be an outsider straight away. So you walk out your door and you're not part of whatever you're in. So um, 
it was great to just go to that meeting and feel like I was am- amongst people that were, were probably like me, and it turned out they were. <laughs> but what I realised too is with that is that most people are like us even outside of the, the mm. meetings. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to read another little bit. Um, that we see that the, the, uh, bio- our biological parents as the instruments of our existence. Our actual parent is a higher power, whom some of us choose to call God. Although we had alcoholic or dysfunctional parents, our higher power gave us the 12 steps of recovery. This is the action and work that heals us. We use the steps, we use the meetings, we use the telephone. We share experience, strength and hope with each other. What do you use, Janina? I use everything I can, just about. There are bits and pieces that I don't use, but yes, I go to regular meetings. I have a fellow traveller. I work the steps um, and anything else that might come up. For for instance, at the moment in ACA, I'm working on the guidebook to the loving parent because I saw that as my main issue at the time when I joined ACA. And we're just about to finish that book, so I'm not sure where I'm going to go. And I've, in the meantime, I've also been with a couple of other fellow travellers, been working on the yellow book, which is the the twelve steps of ACA, uh-huh. and we're just about finished that as well. All so right. yes, I'm on the lookout for something else. Okay, so ACA has got workbooks that that Ooh, people can access. Yes, yes. Would you like to talk about that a little bit, um, Heather, before you go on to talk about something yes. else? Yes, <clears throat> they've got called what is called the Big Red Book, and that is very thick, and it's like a Bible, and thicker than a Bible with more information in it. (laughs) And you can refer to that on anything that comes up. Like I was just thinking the other day, what is the difference in my mind between denial and ignorance? So I can go straight to that book and look up and that'll sort that out for me. And also there's the, as Janina's mentioned, the Yellow Step work, Workbook. And that works methodically through the steps, the 12 steps of AA, but with an ACA angle, which, is, which I've found can be very traumatic um, because you do... I have gone into the depths of my trauma and that's been very uncomfortable mm. and that's where my fellow traveller has mm-hmm. been brilliant and um, I've also listened to her. So she was the first person I trusted really in my life, even though I'm very old. Mm. So it's it has had an, an incredible effect. Mm-hmm. on me that early trauma of childhood mm-hmm. yeah so that's and would you like to comment on anything else we just that Janina just said or would you like me to read out a little bit for you you could read out a little bit please okay um we learn to restructure our sick thinking one day at a time when we release our parents from responsibility for our actions today we become free to make healthful decisions as actors not reactors I'll just read the next sentence because it's a nice little sentence. We progress from hurting to healing to helping. Yeah, well, I very much relate to that because um, my mother used to enable my son. She, He'd even drive her to the bank in a taxi that she paid for. Oh. 
Yeah, so that's heroin addiction. To get money for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I could have smashed her kneecaps. I hated her for that. <laughs> I blamed her for the disease. But now I've come to forgive them, or not not forgive, but actually accept that they did the best they could. What with war and depression and other things mm. and... Uh, ignorance, mm-hmm. ignorance mm-hmm. and denial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just accepted that now and I've come to become my own loving parent most of the time. I mean, and I do regress. I do. Oh, yes. But yeah. I am aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I think uh, the regressions, uh, you have to accept that. That's how it is. And it's not as long. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> And you don't you don't believe it. You don't believe the nonsense that you're thinking <laughs> as easily. <laughs> okay, um, more things. We awaken to a sense of wholeness we never knew was possible. By attending these meetings on a regular basis, you will come to see parental alcoholism or family dysfunction for what it is, a disease that affected you as a child and continues to affect you as an adult. Would you like me to keep reading a little bit more, Janina? Or would you no, like to no, no, I can. I think there's enough there. So, you know, we start off with... The focus is on the drinker, so dad's the drinker, then mum in, ends up with a mental illness, my brother's got a physical disability, and um, the other thing that really stands out, and this is one of the reasons why I came into ACA, is that this particular brother with polio, he's, he had a lot of time away from home when all those times he was in hospital so he used to get these really long breaks whereas my other brother and I just we had to suffer Um, and he became the professor I suppose in the family but I recognized um, a few years ago that he was my surrogate father my father neglected us um, not intentionally it's just through you know what happened to him and so he became my my second brother became my surrogate father and I knew that there was um something going wrong there um, and it was all family of origin stuff um, I was well aware from even from the time I came into Al-Anon that it because I was I recognized that I was um, a child of an alcoholic and I think it's the Jesuits who talk about you know give me a, a baby and by the time you know they're five or seven I'll give you a man so the personality is formed in those early five to seven years and I knew very early that my biggest problems were family of origin stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's my dad, my mum, and then my second brother yeah. with the physical disability. But then he also turned to religion. Um, that became his saviour. And it was some emotional abuse that he dished out a few years ago that really sent me to the wall and I crawled into the rooms of ACA and recognised that he was my my surrogate father but also that he was an authority yeah Yeah. he was the authority figure and he was moralistic and didn't matter what I said what we talked about it always finished with a bible quote and of course I talked about my my aversion to the word god so you can imagine what was going on inside me but being the people pleaser um, and the peacekeeper I never said anything and only in the last few years I heard the difference between a people peacekeeper and a peacemaker and I was doing the peacekeeping instead of making peace. Beautiful. We've got two minutes to go. We got, I just got a bit carried away there and didn't look at the clock. Um, Heather, 
it's up to you now to uh, say uh, if, if there's someone out there struggling with any of this and that relates to any of this, what would you recommend to them? Well, I'd recommend to try ACA to go to, as they say in Al-Anon, to go to six meetings and see if this is, this is for you and to go to different meetings and to disregard the word God and to think of it, that as something that, that knows more than you and that I always think of that universal law that pe- only people who've walked in your shoes can help you. Great, beautiful. That's a really good way to, so to I'll end. So le- I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you, much. Anne. Thank you for coming in. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you relate to the stories and experiences you heard today and would like to find out more about ACA, you can visit their website at adultchildren.org.au. There you'll find where the Melbourne meetings are, face-to-face meetings, and also how to access online meetings. Coming up next, we have Balanoir. The Spirit of Wah, hosted by Uncle Taljim Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week for um, more discussion and stories about recovery from the effects of addiction. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.